How do people change? How do people change? In this room, um, I know we all would like some change. We've seen changes the last 50 years. We've seen huge changes in the last 50 years. Organ transplants. That never happened the last 50 years. Incredible changes have taken place. Electronic funds that can be transferred. You used to have to go to the bank. Now you can wire money anywhere, anytime, all over the world. Personal computers, the Internet, mobile phones. How many of you in the room, I just want all the younger people to see this, how many of you in the room did not grow up with a mobile phone? How many of you in the room, look, look, okay. So we're not the only dinosaurs in this room, young people. There's a lot of us dinosaurs, all right? But those are not changes that you've created. Those are changes that you ride. You ride the wave of those changes. But everybody in this room would like to change something about your body. Everybody in this room would like to change something about your life. Everybody in this room would like to change something about probably your relationships. Everybody in this room would love to change. Here's the question. Say this out loud. How do people change? Ready? How do people change? Say it again. How do people change? So here's what we do. We make New Year's resolutions. Do they work? No, because you've made the same ones three years in a row, haven't you? New Year's resolutions don't work. Now, I've been taught all my life that if you write your goals down, you will accomplish more. That's true. However, it's minuscule. You can write it down, but it still isn't. Research proves it still doesn't make that big of a difference. There's one of our radio stations right now around us, and I could mention the radio station and I won't, but one of the radio stations has like, we're going to inspire you to change. We're going to inspire you. Well, I can inspire you for about five minutes till you get out and drive on US 19 and you're no longer inspired, right? And so, so we all are smart enough in this room to know that New Year's resolutions don't change people. We're smart enough to know that we've written down our goals and we haven't accomplished a whole lot of them. And we're also smart enough to know that inspiration doesn't last. So here's the question. We all want change. We all need change. We all deeply desire something different, but we're not really sure how. And I want to answer that question today. I want to show you today. It's a little different message. It's a little different approach. But I've thought about this for about the last two months. As a pastor, the most discouraging thing in my life is watching people who never change who stay at the same mile marker year after year. Good people, nice people, kind people, but but they they never change. They want to change, but they don't change. I think it's because we don't know how to change. And so today, I want to talk about that. I've watched others. I've watched thousands of other people that are at mile marker one or mile marker two spiritually, and they begin to change, and they begin to grow. And they begin to mature and they, they start teaching the two and three year olds because they don't know the Bible. So they start teaching the two and three year olds, learning the stories as they go along. So I, I, I want, I have an agenda this morning. Say the pastor has an agenda. Say that. The pastor has, an, I have an agenda this morning. I want you, I want you to be clear on this because I'm amped up about this. This matters to me. 
I care about you and I care about this because if, I, if you don't change, you'll be in exactly the same spot in 2017 that you are today. So I think you want to change. I just don't think we always know how to change. So that's the goal today. I'm getting to Scripture. I'm getting to the Bible. Just give me about 10 or 12 minutes. I want to tell you some stories first. We're going to go all the way around the barn before we come in the front door. Okay? If you're from Indiana, you got that euphemism. All right. The first is a story about the Aluminum Company of America, or known as Alcoa. On a blistery October day in 1987 a herd of prominent Wall Street investors and stock analysts gathered in the ballroom of a Manhattan hotel. They were there to meet the new CEO of the Aluminum Company of America, or known as Alcoa. Alcoa's founder had invented the process of smelting aluminum a century earlier. And since then, the company had become one of the largest on this earth. Many of the people in the audience had invested millions of dollars in the Alcoa stock and had enjoyed a steady return. In the past year, however, uh, investors began to grumble. Alcoa's management had made misstep after misstep, unwisely trying to expand into new product lines while competitors stole customers and profits away. The new CEO would be a former uh, government bureaucrat named Paul O'Neill. How many of you in the room recognize the name Paul O'Neill? Okay, yeah, you're old too. Okay. (laughs) Many on Wall Street had never heard of him, and apparently a bunch of you haven't either. When Alcoa scheduled this meet and greet at the Manhattan Ballroom, every major investor asked for an invitation. A few minutes before noon, O'Neill took the stage. He was 51 years old, trim, dressed in a gray pinstripe suit and a red power tie. His hair was white and his posture was military. He bounced up the steps and he smiled warmly. He looked dignified, solid, confident, like a chief executive. Then he opened his mouth. I want to talk to you, he said, about worker safety. Every year, numerous Alcoa workers are injured so badly that they miss a day of work. Our safety record is better than the general American workforce, especially considering that our employees work with metals that are 1,500 degrees and machines that can literally rip a man's arm off. But it's not good enough. I intend to make Alcoa the safest company in America. I intend to go for zero injuries. The audience was confused. O'Neill hadn't said anything about profits. He didn't mention taxes. Silence. The only noise was the hum of traffic through the windows. Safety? Was this a joke? One investor um, in the audience knew that O'Neill had been in Washington, D.C. during the 60s. Guy must have done a lot of drugs, he said. (laughs) I think that's funny, anyway. (laughs) The investor in the room uh, almost stampeded out of the door when the presentation ended. The investors, they, they jumped out the door. One guy jogged to his phone in the lobby, called 20 of his largest clients. He said, I told, I said, the board put a crazy hippie in charge and he's going to kill the company. I ordered them to sell their stock immediately before everyone else in the room started calling their clients and telling them the same thing. It was literally the worst advice I've ever given in my life. Within a year of O'Neill's speech, Alcoa's profit would hit a record high. By the time O'Neill retired in 2000, 
the company's annual net income was five times larger before he arrived. And its market capitalization had risen by $27 billion. Someone who had invested a million dollars in Alcoa on the day O'Neill was hired would have earned another million in dividends while he headed the company and the value of their stock would be five times bigger when he left. So here's the point. How did O'Neill make one of the largest, stodgiest, uh, potentially dangerous companies into a profit machine and safe? By attacking one habit. By attacking one habit and then watching the changes ripple through the organization. O'Neill believed that some habits have the power to start a chain reaction, changing other habits as they move through an organization. Some habits, in other words, matter more than others in remaking businesses and lives. And he calls these keystone habits. So here's the point this morning. I'm not done with the stories. Hang with me. If you want to change anything in your life, how do you change? You want to lose weight, you want to gain weight. You want to start exercising, you want to stop exercising so much. You want to invest a little bit of money, you want to give money away. How do you do that in your life? How can you change who you are and what you want to do? I got one more story, and then I'm going to come to the point. I haven't told you how to do it yet. Coach Bowman saw Michael Phelps as a youngster. And he saw this very big hands, big feet, this incredible kid, and, a, and a, a long, you know, torso and short legs. And he thought, I think I can make this kid a swimmer. And all I need to do is change a few habits. I'm not going to change everything. I'm just going to change a few habits in this young man's life. And so it's Beijing. And it's 2008 in the Olympics. And you guys know Michael Phelps. He's won more Olympic medals than any other Olympian. He's won 22 medals. 18 gold, two bronze, two silver. And on August the 13th, 2008, as he's on the platform getting ready to swim in the finals of the 200-meter butterfly, he jumps into the water and something is terribly wrong. Go back several years, Coach Bowman is now teaching and coaching Michael Phelps in Michigan. And what, what he's going to do is he's going to change one of his habits was you've got to learn to count your strokes. Michael, you've got to learn to count your strokes. And so what Coach Bowman would do in the middle of a practice is he would turn the pool lights off. He would turn the ceiling lights off. And all of a sudden, Michael Phelps is in a swimming pool completely blind. And so he taught him every practice, every race to count your strokes. And so Michael Phelps, back to 2008 in Beijing, in the finals of the 200-meter butterfly, he jumps into the water and his goggles begin to fill up with water. He instantly knew something is wrong. And he swims about 100 meters. He is completely blind. He can't see the lines. He can't see the rope. He can't see the wall. But he's okay because he's counting his strokes. He's okay. Because he's developed a keystone habit that will set him up for success. And he knows as he's got the last lap, he's got 20 or 21 strokes. And so he gets to 17. He hears the crowd. He doesn't know if he's ahead. Doesn't know if he's behind. He can't see the wall. He gets to 20. He thinks, I got one more. And he gets to 21. Touches the wall. Looks up at the board. It's a new world record. Michael Phelps has won another gold medal. Now, how does he do that? Because he had some habits in his life. How do people change? 
The only way you will ever change. The only way you will ever change. The only way you will ever change is when you change your habits. Look at some of these keystone habits. Look at what this means. Keystone habits start a process that over time transforms everything. Keystone habits say that success doesn't depend on getting every single thing right, but instead relies on identifying a few key priorities and then fashioning them into powerful levers. So what happens in your life if you implement... Now, we're not here today to talk about exercise. We're not here today to talk about your weight, more or less. We're not here today to talk about you investing money or saving money. That's up to you. Those are some of your own things you need to do. But we are here today to talk about your spiritual life. We are here today to talk about how can you move from mile marker, wherever you are, to the next mile marker. Because if you don't adapt this one habit that we're going to talk about today, I haven't mentioned it yet. If you don't adapt this one habit, you will be exactly the same place spiritually you are today one year from now. And you don't want that. And I don't want that. But if you adapt this one habit, everything in your life gets better and you become better off. Everything changes. Everything transforms in your life. Let me share just a little bit more about this research. I think this is fascinating. Secular research, these people spend their entire lives doing this, teaching people how to change. Let's look at some of this. Researcher Charles, I don't know how you say his last name, Duhigg, Duhigg, Duhiggy, whatever his name is, says this. People who ex I'm just watch this. I'm not trying to get you to exercise. I'm trying to show you what happens with a habit. He says people who exercise start eating better and become more productive at work. They smoke less. And they show more patience with colleagues and family. They use their credit cards less frequently, and they say they feel less stressed. And then he said this. It's not completely clear why. In other words, he's saying we don't really know why people who do this one habit, have all these other effects. We just know the research says it's true. It's not completely clear why. But for many people, exercise is a keystone habit that triggers widespread change. Here's the next researcher, completely different researcher from the University of Rhode Island. He says this, exercise spills over. There's something about it that makes other good habits easier. Studies have documented, now here's another habit. I'm not trying to get you, I'm not trying to tell you what to, how to eat dinner together. I'm just telling you what happens with a couple of habits. He says, studies have documented that families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise children with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. And here's another one. Making your bed. Who really wants to make your bed? Who, who in the room wants to make your bed? A few OCD people in the room. They love making their bed. All right. But he says this. Making your bed every morning is correlated with better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and stronger skills sticking with a budget. It's not that a family meal or tidy bed causes better grades or less frivolous spending, but somehow... Those initial shifts start chain reactions that help the good habits to take hold. That's what I want to talk about today. What if you in your life developed this one habit, implemented this one habit, what levers would this small habit forever change in your life? 
Well, here's what I know. I know it'll change everything. It'll change every relationship. It'll change your morality. It'll change your money thoughts. It'll change your friendships. It'll change your marriage. I know this. From 35 years of being a pastor, I know that I know if you do this one habit, your life will forever be changed. So Moses has been leading the children of Israel for 40 years. I think it's kind of funny, 40 years, because it was an 11-day journey from Kadesh Barnea to, to the Promised Land. But because of all their sin, it took 40 years. And I guess he didn't ask for directions. That's the joke from women. But anyway, uh, it's a 40-year deal. And they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go into the, Jordan, into the land of Canaan. And he says to them, Moses says to them, you're either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. You have two options. And he talks about their blessings. And he says to them, if you will follow the word of God, if you will follow the statutes of God, if you will follow the ordinances of God, if you will follow the law, if you follow all that, you will be blessed. And he says this, if you don't follow the word of God, if you don't follow the statutes, the ordinance, the commandments of God, you're going to be cursed. And he begins to list the blessings. You'll be blessed In the city, you'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed in the barn. You'll be blessed with your animals. You'll be blessed in the fields. But then he goes and talks about this this side of the coin is if you don't follow God and you don't follow his scriptures and you don't follow his word and you don't follow his statutes and ordinances, you're going to be cursed. In Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, talk about the blessings and the curses all centered around The scriptures. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. He says this. If you fully obey the Lord your God, and you carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. And all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now here's what you already know. It's not what you say that matters. It's what you sow. Everybody in the room knows this. Look at this little line up here. It's not what you say. I say I'm going to start exercising. Does that help you to exercise? It's not what you say. It's whether or not you get up and walk around the block, right? You say I'm going to start. I need to. I never save money. I need to start saving money. You can say I'm going to save money all year long. It doesn't change anything. It's not what you say. It's what? It's what you sow. It's what you do. And people don't change by just saying it. You only change by changing the habits in your life. And when the habits in your life change, it's what you do. I can say all day long, I'm going to have a better marriage. I'm going to have a better, oh, I'm going to have a better marriage. But if I don't have date nights and if I'm not treating Danita kindly, if I'm not, you know, looking out for her best interest, I'm not going to have a better marriage. It's not what you say. Everybody in the room gets this. Right? So here's the habit. Here's the one keystone habit that will open doors for you spiritually far beyond what you would ever dream or imagine. It's reading the scriptures. It's the Bible. It's getting you in the Bible every single day. It's getting you to embrace the reading of God's word. God's word will flat change your life forever and forever. So all next year, we're going to read the Bible together. And we've got three different levels. Just like a workout app, there's going to be a beginner, there's going to be a moderate, and there's going to be an intense level. 
And all year long, we're going to give you, on these apps, we're going to give you different options. Maybe you're a beginner. That's fantastic. You've never read the Bible before. You've never really understood the Bible before. We're going to give you just a couple of verses a day. Maybe you do that at the dinner table together. And then maybe you individually do the moderate or the intense one on your own. Maybe you take the beginner one and you read this to your children as you take them to school or as you, you know, during lunch hour or whatever it is. But all year long, we're going to do this together. Now, this past year, uh-oh, right. This past year, we spent the whole year in the Gospel of Matthew, one book. This next year, we're going to cover the entire Bible. I'm a man of extremes. We're going to cover the entire Bible, and we're going to do this together, and together, we're going to get you in the Scriptures, and I guarantee it will flat change your life. Now, how long does it take to read that beginner thing? Probably one or two minutes. How long would it take to read the, the moderate? Probably seven or eight minutes. How long would it take to read the intense level? Probably 20 or 25 minutes, depending on, on how fast you read. But all of us in this room, we can do this together. And I, I have an agenda. I am begging you to pick one of those three, beginner, moderate, or intense. And on January the 17th, we're going to do this together. Now, look, we got time to do this. It's not a matter of time. It's just really kind of a matter of focus. Really, it's, it's a matter of a habit. It's a habit. So rather than, and there's nobody in this room that likes Monday night football more than I do, okay? I love Monday night football. There's nobody in this room that likes to fish more than I do. You may get to fish more than I do, but you don't love it more than I do. There's nobody in this room, and I can keep going on. It's not, it's a matter of your priorities. It's whether or not you will, and guess what will happen? It will flat change your life. Look what, look what he says in the scriptures. Psalm chapter 1 says this. He says, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to just run to the Scriptures. I want you to look forward to your phone giving you these Scripture verses and what we're going to do all year long. This will help you in every area of your life. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I want to prosper. You want to prosper. Every one of us in this room wants this to be a prosperous year. It will be your most prosperous year by getting into the scriptures. Look at the next verse. Finally, brothers, whatever, sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All that comes from the scriptures. All those things in the scriptures, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, all that comes from the word of God. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. How are you going to walk according to the law of the Lord if you don't know the law of the Lord? Look at the next verse. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. In the night, Lord, I remember your name. 
that I may keep your law. That's when you can't sleep. The next one's about sleep too. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Look at this one from John. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. The word of God told us that the word of God would become flesh. And now the word of God tells us all about the one who became flesh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we understand that the word became flesh, and we understand his will for our lives. Look at the next passage. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I'm going to encourage you to get your face out of Facebook and to get your face in the, in the book, and it will flat change your life forever. Okay? One more verse. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I'm going to ask you to change a habit. This habit is going to be the best habit you will ever have in your entire life. And everybody in the room, we're in one of those three levels. We're either a beginner in the Bible, or we're a moderate in the Bible, or we're intense in the Bible. And, and you can like do this and start off beginner and go, oh, I can do more than that. Or, or maybe you start off with moderate and go, man, that's too much. I'm going to go back to beginner. It doesn't matter. We're not the, the you know, app Nazis. We're not coming after you. No, nobody will know what you're... But, but we're going to do this together. Your life will never be the same. And as a pastor... I'm doing this because I want you to grow. This is what we do. We want to help you to live the life of abundance that Christ has called you to. And we all, as pastors and as elders, we get this. You can't live that life outside the margins of Scripture. It's within the margins of Scripture that everything in your life falls into place. Jesus said something about John the Baptist that was just astounding. They were talking about John, and Jesus said, by the way, he said, among those born of women, there's never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And that's an incredible statement. Jesus said, among those born of women, that covers just about everybody except Jesus, right? He said, nobody's greater than J the B. Why was John the greatest? Because every opportunity that John got, John understood what was valuable. And he always pointed to the Messiah. That's the brand. That's what we're here for. That's why I'm here. I am here to honor and to exalt Jesus Christ. And then John said this. He said, you know what? I got to decrease. And he must increase. I got to get myself out of the way. Less... Less, less of me and more and more and more of him. So we're going to sing a couple songs right now. I don't want you to leave. I want you to make a decision. It's not what you say, it's what you sow. It's not what you say, it's what you do. 
You can say all year long, I want to do It's what you're going to do. And so as we sing these couple of songs, I'm going to ask you to make a decision about the Word of God.